we are uh, at the 7.16 my time instead of the, the promised 7.15. Uh, apologies, uh, refunds are in the mail. Uh, I'm Seth Partnow. This is the Call and Shots podcast. I am joined uh, today by Brad Rowland to talk uh, some Hawks. Uh, Brad, why don't you tell the folks uh, where they can find your writing and, and kind of how you uh, got to the exalted position of Hawks beat writer. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me first. Uh, right now, I am writing most of my basketball content at Dime on Uproxx which is not only Hawks focused, but uh, I do do some Hawks stuff there. And my, uh, my main Hawks outlet is the Lock on Hawks podcast. Uh, I ran Peachtree Hoops for about a half decade and worked there before then. That is the uh, sort of the SB Nation Hawks site and uh, got my, uh, my, with my platform start there and had to kind of walk away just due to, you know, life, but uh, still covering the team every day, basically, and doing the podcast and uh, all that fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, this should, should be fun. So how does uh, how does one? This is we're kind of in the age of the, you know the 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 you know the quote unquote blog boy turned beat writer. Like <laughs> how how did that? Uh, like I, I I've never asked you about this, so I'm I'm kind of interested myself. Like uh, how did that sort of come to be? Yeah, it's actually I, I took a pretty uh, I guess it's not even modern anymore modern for its time route uh, where I was just like on Blogspot. Uh, writing about basketball and mostly the Hawks. And then, uh, yeah, just, I kind of just made one uh, one day and started writing and did it for like two years, pretty consistently, like daily um, ramblings for the most part. And uh, by chance, one of the, uh, one of the guys at Soaring Down South, actually, which is a fan-sided site covering the Hawks, found it and reached out to me and was like, you want to write for us? And I did that and uh, kind of went, I wasn't there for too long, uh, kind of worked my way up from there, did other fan-sided stuff for a while, um, started going to games because the Hawks, um, for better or worse, uh, the Hawks are very good to blogs and local people, whether they're, honestly, whether they're qualified or not, I probably at the very beginning maybe shouldn't have been there. Um, and they do have a very uh, open policy on local coverage in the media, I think in part because they were bad for a long time and they kind of just wanted people to cover them. And that worked out great for me and got to just go. And, I, you know, I had an appreciation, too, for like doing it the right way. I kind of wanted to do it the right way and not be just, you know, state media or whatever you would say that it would be. And uh, got got on at Peachtree Hoops, a uh, guy named Chris Willis hired me there. And I actually filled the job of someone you know. When Robbie Callen left Peachtree Hoops to go to Hawks.com, uh, that's why I got the call at Peachtree Hoops and uh, eventually ended up taking over there, running the site for a long time. And, uh, yeah, just kind of grew. And in, in this, this latest chapter is uh, on the Locked on Hawks podcast. David Locke called me out of the blue when, it was, when he was launching the network in 2016, and they wanted a Hawks guy. And, uh, I guess that was the best option that he could find anyway. So my apologies to David for being the only option he could find at that time. But uh, no, it's it, it's a weird path for sure. Like I, I always liked writing and I wrote in college and stuff, but uh, I definitely did not take the traditional you know journalism route. I came up through uh, came up through the blog ranks and uh, kind of just decided halfway through, maybe even got forced out of me halfway through um, that you know to do this really do this you kind of can't be a fan anymore. Um, you might you know I, I was a Hawks fan. I was a season ticket holder all that stuff coming up. And you know, if you're around the locker room and you're trying to do a responsible job, I just, you know, the fandom gets kind of beat out of you at times. I'm, you know, I'm sure deep down, maybe I want them to do well. I know I do in terms of like people around the organization, but um, there's that light switch. I think that a lot of people find when they do this, where like, you just can't be a fanboy anymore, basically. So that's where we are now. 
Yeah, that's sort of, it's funny you mentioned that. That's sort of something I've kind of pondered is if I'm ever in a, in a position with a, with a front office or an organization again, I kind of would almost want to impose a rule that I'm not fi- hiring anyone who grew up a fan of this team. Because I, like, I, I feel like that, you know, I'm not sure that would be a good idea, but it's certainly something I'd think about. Just because you, you like you say, you need to, you know, both in in the role of of covering something, trying to be objective, and in you know making decisions, you you, you can't you you have to de-emotionalize it as as much as possible, and that's um, uh, fandom is is you know is irrational, so it uh, it's hard to do that. Yeah, I think you, I think you can do a credible and good job. I can think of people right now that I know are still, at least to some degree, emotionally invested in the teams they're covering that do a good job. So it's, it's not impossible. I just think it's a lot harder when you're doing the daily grind and really trying to cover the team as objectively as possible. Um, if you're doing that and, that's, and that is your actual goal, which for some people it's not, and that's totally fine. I think in the modern age, we've seen people kind of, it's, it's, it's now more accepted that you are able to cover a team with some level of credibility while still being a fan of the team. But if you really want to be, at least for me, if I'm trying to be object, as objective as possible, I feel like it's a little bit harder to do that when you're still uh, in the weeds. And honestly, there are some things that you actually just can't do, like people that use we and that kind of stuff in their in their coverage that's trying to be professional coverage. It's like I can't refer to the Hawks as we. I can't ask them. I can't ask Nate Miller a question and say, "What do we have to do better?" Like that's not a that's right. not the way that you can do your job. I don't think. But uh, you know, there's that fine line, and I think that as long as you're being professional about it, if you're in the locker room, and stuff, I guess we're not in the locker room anymore because locker rooms are not available right. to us. <laughs> but uh, you, I, you, know, you know what I mean when I, when I said that. You, when you're in a press conference room, which right. I say for now, uh, you know, try, kind of draw that line. But yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, and uh, it certainly changed a lot for me in about a, you know a decade, maybe like 11 or 12 years now since I started covering them. It's uh, it's been a long time. So that's almost that's a a, a, a bit of a, a good um, segue almost. Uh, you know, the Hawks have been disappointing this season. I think that's fair to say. Um, so, uh, you know, big picture, what, what's what's the deal? What's happened? Yeah, I mean, big picture is uh, the number one issue. I think you have to point to anything is just they have cratered on defense. And there are certainly other issues as well. But it's really tough to live up to a, you know, high 40s, low 50s win projection if you're going to be 28th in defense. Um, it's not impossible, but it's very, very difficult. Like you have to be the best of the best in in the on offense by a lot. And honestly, at this moment, I think the Hawks are number two in defense. Uh, sorry, number number two in offense in the NBA, and they're still eighteen and twenty five, which kind of tells you how difficult it is to be this bad on defense and overcome it. Um, and there are personnel deficiencies there. Um, it's kind of the same cast as last year, but not exactly. We can get into that too. But if you're trying to look for like the number one biggest culprit. It is certainly defense, and for me, it's perimeter defense. If you want to draw one step further down on the basketball floor, it's uh, it's those two things that like are the number one thing. And they've had some late game stuff too, and there's you know personalities, all that stuff you can get into. But I think broadly speaking, you know, twentieth in defense is just tough to overcome. So, I think part of the reason this is an interesting question is uh, being quote unquote a disappointment is is relative to expectations. Uh, were the expectations on this team, whatever whatever you think the median expectations were of them, were they fair? I I you know I maybe my timing wasn't awesome, but like right after they got eliminated last year, I was like you know it's going to be a challenge for them next year to remember that they don't start at the conference finals, that they have to you know they have to play the first game of the season all over again, and you know it's probably you know 
maybe from an empathetic standpoint, no one wants to hear that like before the <laughs> before the you just got knocked out press conference. But uh, the point still stands. And um, from the outside looking in, it does seem like that has been a little bit of a struggle for them. The that like the the resetting back to square zero. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. I was actually going back to right after the run they made in the summer. Um, and maybe it's because of the market and kind of the lack of push that the Hawks always kind of get. They're kind of anonymous. This is not the Lakers. This is not the Celtics to get the, to get the national discussion. I was, I don't know if what the word even is. I was relieved on some level that there weren't like insane expectations on the outside for the Hawks. Like I think people were higher on them this year for good reason. They come, they came off that season, but no one picked them to be in the top three really in the East. Definitely not, not, not the top two. It was a lot of Milwaukee and Brooklyn as it should have been in a lot of ways. And I think the Hawks were putting that next tier, maybe in the tier below that, in that, you know, maybe maybe three for some people, but mostly four, five, six, something like that. And I think that was kind of reasonable for what they had done. But what you said is important is that, you know, internally, you know, they wanna you know when you when you do that, you know, from owner on down, you now think you're gonna be that. Um, whether you whether that's rational or not, once it happens and especially with a young team like the way like the one they had and they had money, and they did all the stuff that they did last year to win immediately, and it, and it kind of worked for them, obviously, to have that internal expectation as well to where, like, they were approaching it as a contender. Um, and I'm not sure about true serum and, like, if they thought they were going to, like, win the East this year, but there was no illusions. Like, this is a win-now team. They, they hired and, I guess, extended slash um, hired officially Nate McMillan, who is definitely a win-now coach. Not He's not trying to take a measured approach. He's very He's very open about that. He came into the season talking about nobody gets development minutes anymore. They're now they're now in this winning mindset, and I can't remember the quote offhand. I should have it in front of me, but Trey Young gave a pretty revealing quote early in the season where he kind of almost said they were bored. Oh, I've, oh, we have talked about that a lot on Nerder. Yeah, I uh, mean, and was... It, it, it was kind of in passing. I don't think he necessarily meant to say it, but it was kind of revealing. And you know, now you can get picked on pretty badly when you're 18 and 25, and you've been. Not healthy, but not like in, incredibly banged up either. They had a bunch. They, they had a, they had COVID pretty bad um, compared to a lot of teams. But um, relatively speaking, like when you say that early in the season, and now you're below 500, um, you know, post the midway point, that's going to be fodder to be made fun of. And that probably happened on some level. This is a young team again, and like I think they probably, whether conscious or unconscious, thought that they were going to be better than this. And you know how much that actually matters and is baked into the play is up for debate. But like you kind of be silly to think that that has no part in it yet. You have to say, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it's probably maybe a little bit of a just so story, but you compare them to the Suns, And I think the Suns probably have a little bit better talent, but more than that, I think the Suns have, you know, and Chris Paul, uh, ooh, lost Brad for a second there. Hopefully he can, he can hop back on. Oh, there he is. I'm here. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, I was just saying, like, the, the Suns, um, uh, you know, they slightly better talent, but Chris Paul and Trey Young, like, okay, you can, I, I don't think, I would not argue that Trey Young is on the level of Chris Paul, but more to the point, like, Chris Paul's on the backside, and so he's kind of, he's done the thing where he had precocious early success, and then didn't it didn't happen again for a long time, and, and, Trey hasn't. So the Suns, you know, based on that almost have been like, I don't it, like saying it's been more professional that, 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 that's a pejorative on, I, I think the Hawks, I have no reason to think that they haven't been professional in their approach. 
but I, I, I'm just struggling for a better word of, 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 I guess, steadiness and sort of the, the like chopping wood almost that it seems like the Suns are doing this regular season. Like, I know you don't cover the Suns, but is that a fair uh, comparison to draw? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, and this is effort's an interesting thing to talk about a lot, and I'm sure you're not surprised. But when the Hawks give up, you know, give up 130 on a night, and the fan base reaction is they're not playing hard. And like, if you watch, and even you know, maybe Miller's not going to fool around. Like, he'll tell you when they're not playing hard. And with a couple of exceptions, I think effort's been fine. They're not like mailing it in. This is not a situation where they're not, you know, they're coming out there and just kind of rolling the ball out. But it's the it's the little things, and it's the particularly on defense. That's an area where it shows up even more because you know on ball, off ball, you have to be attentive at all times and being dialed in and being focused. And it's not the same thing as when you're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. And you know on, on a Tuesday in Memphis or a Tuesday, actually they're good this year. So a Tuesday in New Orleans, we'll say, uh, where it's just not the same. And again, for a young team, and they you know their veterans have been banged up a little bit, and even their veterans have been worse too. And that has something to do with age on some of these guys, like, you know, Gallinari and Lou Williams or whoever else you want to say, even Capella, maybe you could say that's an age thing, he, but he hasn't been the same guy necessarily either. And you go down the roster and I did this exercise a while ago on my podcast of like, go player for player. And are they playing the same level of defense individually slash within the team concept as they were last year? And like almost to a man, the answer was no. And it's like, you you have to watch them on a nightly basis to have that show up. And I obviously do that, but I, you kind of wonder if that's kind of what you're, to what you're saying. It's not necessarily a professionalism thing, it's, but it, it's an attentiveness, it's a focus, it's a um, you know showing up and kind of just being that consistency that they have not had before. Because in the previous year to last year, previous years, I should say, that was a rebuild. I mean, that was last year was quite literally the first year that they came alive. And usually, there's a year or two in there where you're like just pretty good or just mediocre for a season or two in the middle of a rebuild, and they went from being bad to being you know, literally in one half of the season to being lights out and then conference finals with nothing in between. And I wonder if that, they just kind of missed that middle tier. Uh, and maybe that would have helped them to kind of have better habits and all that kind of stuff. To almost to realize like, oh, wait, this is pretty cool. What we've got, we got to, and then we have to remember all we did to get here and do that again. Not just like, hey, it's cool. We're here. I guess we're staying here now. Um, and that, you know, it's it's very easy to psychoanalyze and say that that's happening to a young team. But let's be almost a little more more objective about it. How much have have some of the injuries hurt? I mean, I think that you know you talk about defense. The fact that uh, I was watching the game last night, and is is this accurate that they haven't had a single game this year where all three of Capella, Hunter, and Okongwu, who I think you probably say are the three best defenders at this point. Uh, like there, there hasn't been a single game where all three have been available. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, I believe that is accurate. Um, and even if you go as far as just to say a Capella and a Kongwu, which their whole plan last season even was to have 48 good minutes of center on defense, uh, particularly when you're, when you're building around guys like that, like, like Trey, and you kind of know that you have to be a, a, an offense first team having that backline defense in particular. Capella was incredible last season. Um, and he's still been good this year, just not quite on the same level. But yeah, when you have your three best defenders, and even if you want to say Okongwu is a second-year guy who's not proven, you could just say your two best defenders. Yeah. He was good in the playoffs last well, year. Well, you know, he's really good. I mean, yeah. and, that's, and that's what I mean. I'm, I'm trying to be as open yeah. about it as possible. But right. like, you could say that, look, he's, he's 21 years old. Like, maybe you don't want to put him on that level. But I think, he's, I think your point is correct. There are three best defenders. Capella is the best defender by a lot in terms of being proven. Hunter's their clear number one on, on the perimeter. 
and then Okongwu has shown a ton already, in, including last night in, in, in the playoffs and all that stuff. So, yeah, it'd be helpful to have their best guys. I don't know if that would have fixed it all. And I kind of uh, got in an argument with somebody about that the other day. It's like, well, yes, they would have been better than this had they had those guys available on defense. I am very sure about that. But when you look at the rest of the roster and how bad some of it's been, they wouldn't have been, you know, 15th in defense, I don't think. Um, I really right. don't. Like, I mean, would they have been 28th? Probably not. But it would, have been, it would have been closer to last year where they were still below average. As good as Capella was, and they were good in Capella's minutes last year. Actually, you know, take everything off the table. If you just put Capella on the floor last year, even with Trey and all that, they were good on defense. They were like top six or seven in the league. But when he's off, when he's off the floor... Um, and it's le- it's le- less of a problem now with the Kongwu, but they just don't have the you know up and down the roster guys defensively to overcome the absences of the guys that they're counting on. Is there anything to in your observation uh, like the offense has been effective, but there's there's you know certainly with some of the I don't want to call it sniping, but there's definitely been there's stuff bubbling under the surface before the coaching change last year and now. Uh, since since John Collins seems to be the guy who gets called on to answer <laughs> the tough questions at, after you know tough loss press conferences, but like there, there does seem like there's some tension, and the fact that it's that while the offense is effective, uh, you know the there's the expression that you know the ball has energy, and the ball doesn't really move that much for the Hawks offense. I think it's fair to say. Um, does that do you think that's something that affects the defense, or is that just a sort of a convenient thing that's easy to look at when things aren't going well? Honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that is an, it's a convenient thing, but it also has some truth. You know, Collins, like you said, like he's the one that, um, and I give him credit for this, he's very candid and open and willing to talk. And he is the guy they put out a lot after losses. It's usually Trey and Collins that they lose, unless there's, something, unless there's somebody else that just earned the spot on the podium that night. It's usually those two guys, and that's part of the job of being your top two players in a lot of ways. But Collins does, he'll answer stuff and he'll say stuff. And, um, you know, he got, um, he got, he got, you know, quoted and accurately so on what he said. And he's kind of walked it back a little bit. But, you know, he does have a, you know, pretty much a career usage rate. And that's a weird thing to have happen when you're, when you're the number two guy. And he said it's not about touches, and I, I don't know if, how much that's true. And honestly, his effort's pretty consistent. He's one of the few guys that almost always plays hard, and you can kind of see that. But it's, um, I, I think it, there is something to it where if you're running the system that they're running, and that is what they need to do on offense. I mean, Trey is really good, and they run almost everything through him, and you know, to even even beyond how good he is, they don't have that number two creator. They kind of still don't have it, and that's gives me even more fuel to not run anything else. They just kind of run, they run the tray offense, especially late in games. And, you know, it's also hurt them offensively at times in fourth quarters. Like they're, they're in the bottom, I think six or seven in the league in fourth quarter offensive rating. And that's kind of an arbitrary endpoint and all that stuff. But they have had some pretty rough closes, even when the starters come back in and um, they've like blown some leads and it's kind of the same for, it's almost crazy how similar it is to the first half of last season when you brought that up and how there was a couple of reports that got out about the locker room, and they were stu- and they were scuffling, and it was they were 14 and 20, and it's Lloyd Pierce, and he gets fired, and then it's all happy-go-lucky, and they go out and go on this run. But it really is extremely similar in terms of almost up and down, uh, blown leads and frustrations that kind of spill out, and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I would say shortcomings in big situations and not being consistent and, you know, it's almost like a, a coaching change that doesn't fix everything. Like it kind of did quote unquote last year. It was really kind of night and day when Nate took over, but there were other factors in play and they got hot and all that stuff. But uh, there maybe is just some 
structural stuff that does hurt them. I don't know if it's because of the offense they run or if they just have personnel issues defensively or what, but it would probably help them to have some more, uh, I don't, I'm not even sure that needs to be like egalitarian, but you know, it is tough to maybe be as invested as you have to be when you're not getting the ball much you want. So, um, just hearing you describe that, especially the, the kind of the fourth quarter struggles and maybe wearing down, um, I'm going to make the comparison that everyone from Atlanta hates to hear, but you know, Uh-oh. that sounds like, no, it sounds like, it sounds like the Mavericks, right? I, I knew you were going there and uh, yeah. it's not, you're not wrong. I don't think. Yeah, it's, no, it's, 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 it remains amusing this far into both of their careers that like, they just, there, there's so many things where it's like, you know, the two guys who dot, 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 who have the ball <laughs> the most, who are the most central to their offense, who maybe like have some like big first halves and maybe fade and say like all it's the two guys you look at. And so it's, you, you, you hate to continually make that comparison. It just keeps smacking you in the face. Um, I, I want to, I, I don't want to get you in trouble by making, by, by speaking on that comparison, because I know Hawks fans, like just, just go crazy. <laughs> well, no, it, it is kind of crazy. We don't have to do it, but like, it is kind of wild. And honestly, it has slowed down a little bit. I will say the first like two years, you, I basically couldn't tweet Luca's name without like fear of my mentions being ruined for the day, if that makes sense. It didn't matter if it was about Trey or not. Uh, just as someone who covers the Hawks, I could not say Luka Doncic's name basically on Twitter <laughs> unless I wanted to log off for the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not that bad anymore, but uh, yeah, there's still, you know, every time it comes up, there's just the, 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 the normal fight that happens and it's never going to go away. But uh, that's part of, I guess that's part of the fun. I, I wouldn't call it fun personally as someone has to just listen to all of it all the time, but uh, it is one of those things that will just kind of never die. And, um, you know, that's a sports argument. There, 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 are, there are plenty of all-time sports arguments that are just never settled and maybe that's one that's going to happen forever in Atlanta. Sure. Um, by the way, as we're going, folks who are listening in, if you uh, have a question, uh, uh, jump in the queue and, uh, and, and, and we'll get to you when we, when we hit a, a breaking point. Um, you kind of brought up the secondary offensive creator. Um, they have a couple of guys who are maybe supposed to be that. Uh, and I'm thinking like specifically of, of, of Bogdan Bogdanovich and Kevin Herter. Um, what's been the story there? I mean, obviously injuries, COVID, blah, blah, blah. But beyond that, it, it doesn't seem like either has really consistently filled that role, maybe to the extent that would have been hoped. Yeah, they have had this, you know, multi-year quest to not die in Trey Young minutes when he's off the floor, basically. Um, and that's only part of the secondary creation load, but that's number one is like they just have never found anybody that can run the unit when Trey's off the floor, the best stretch they've ever had with he, with him sitting was at the end of last season when Bogdanovich was just kind of out of his mind. Um, that's one of the underrated factors of last year's Hawks run is that Bogdanovich shot 50% from three in the second half of the season and averaged 22 points a good. game and was playing with Verve and like hunting shots and pulling up from 27 feet. And that was the best stretch of his career. He was out of his mind. And, you know, obviously there were a lot of things going on, but he was awesome. And, in particular, Madonovich has really struggled this year. I don't know if he's healthy. In fact, I know he's probably not. He's now missed the last couple of games with a, with a knee soreness. It's the same knee that bothered him last year in the playoffs when by the end of that Buck series, he was very visibly like dragging his leg. Um, that's the same knee. So that's very concerning. And honestly, he might be the single guy on the roster this year that's been the most disappointing that's been healthy has been Madonovich just because he is so far below where he was a year ago. Um, on both ends, and honestly, almost more on defense, to be honest. Um, and I think I think Herter's been fine. I think Herter's been 
pretty much the guy that they thought he was going to be this year. Maybe not, maybe, maybe closer to like 90% of that guy. He's not been a huge step forward, which I'm sure they hope for when they gave him the extension and he's still getting acclimated at 23 years old. But I think he's been their best wing this year on the whole. Kevin Herter has been, you know, both due to, to availability and performance. You know, Hunter's only played 15 games. Um, Reddish before he got traded was not very good. Bogey's been struggling. So I think Herter's been their number one wing. That's kind of, I would say faint praise <laughs> this year. Um, but they did find a little bit of juice with when they finally kind of turned it over to DeLon Wright and Kevin Herter as the, on, on the second unit. And as soon as that happened, they had injuries and now Herter starting again and they've gone back to Lou Williams. So it's a mixed bag. Um, but, I, but I think if you're looking for someone to have taken a step forward, it hasn't happened. I think Herter is the, the best secondary ball handler they have still, but that's not where you want to be, I don't think, right now. He's, his skills have kind of settled more into like a, you know, maybe a, a, make a this is probably too, not quite giving him enough credit, but sort of that, that Evan Fournier level of, of, of creation, not even a, a secondary level. Is that, is that a, is that a fair comparison? Like, I'm, and I'm thinking of maybe a couple of years ago, Evan Fournier. Yeah. Kind of. I, I think maybe, you know, he's, he's still young enough where like maybe there's more there and he's gone from, I think being like wildly underrated as a playmaker early in his career um, because people just thought of him as a shooter and a shooter only. Um, and now he's appropriately rated as like, he's a, sure. he's a pretty decent passer. Um, he sees the game well, but he doesn't really break everybody down off the dribble. He's not a great penetration guy. Um, he's a good passer, but not a special one. Not someone that's going to create a ton of like extra stuff. He's just a, a kind of a willing ball mover. So yeah, I think that's appropriate. I think, you know, he's a starting caliber player, but not a guy who is a top you know, 60 guy in the league. Like he's got some work to do to make that step forward that they hope they're hoping he can make. But even, you know, on the deal they gave him, he could be this guy and it's fine. Like he, he's not like hurting them right now. And again, I think he's been their best wing this year, but he also hasn't been, you know, that, that 15% better that you're hoping for when a guy goes from, you know, year three to year four and you just paid him and all that stuff either. So he's not like, honestly, he's so far down on the list of like my concerns for this team this right. year that it's like hard to even think about it, but it is also true that he hasn't like been awesome either. So uh, speaking of disappointments, um, no one will get mad at me now for saying this. Uh, Cam Reddish. Um, uh, people will still get mad at you. There's, there's definitely still a, a cult of Cam Reddish in Atlanta. I'll tell you that right interesting. Now. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'll, like, I'll let you, I'll let you answer. And, and <laughs> if, if, if need be, I'll do my Cam Reddish filibuster after that. But, uh, uh, but you yeah. know, like what, like what sort of, it seems to me that, the, the, that there was, okay, no, I'll do it. I'll do it now. <laughs> it seems to me that there Go was a, a disconnect between uh, how the player could best help the team and who the player wanted to be slash thought he was. Um, and that basically um, led to, if reports are to be believed, him wanting to be traded to a bigger role when, like, a bigger offensive role, aside from playing more minutes, um, is something that there's not really much evidence that would be good for him. Um, yes. <laughs> a, res <laughs> a resounding yes. Uh I'll add, you know, it's been out there for a while, and I, I kind of knew this and I heard it. And you, know, you relay things in the way that you can. Like, I couldn't, like, flat report it. But um, it was pretty well known that Cam did not want to be there anymore. Um, but then I was kind of surprised, not in a bad way, but Travis Schlenk just said it on the record on, on the way out. Like, he just kind of said, like, and they gave him credit for coming to them and doing it resp you know, re respectfully. And um, he didn't criticize Cam for doing it. But he did say, like, Cam came to them in the offseason, and 
wanted to go somewhere else to have a bigger role. And he, you know, he said it just that, just that plainly. And um, I, I'm on, I'm on your side. I think that um, he's not the first guy in the world to be 22, no. 23 years old and um, think he's better than he is and want a bigger role. Um, but that's where they are right now. And I've, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic. I've always kind of fallen between the extremely pro Cam Reddish, like when he wins the rookie survey for best career kind of stuff. And people think he's going to be a star because he looks like a star. Um, I'm falling between that level and the level where um, people that were more numbers based, and I don't blame them at all for this, like looked at the profile of Duke and they were like, this guy's not very good at basketball. And I've kind of seen both sides of that, to be honest. I think it's kind of funny. I've long thought his defense was his calling card. At least it should have been his calling card. I think he had his way better field defensively than offensively. And at times in his, in the early, in the early part of his career, he did have real defensive flashes and, um, but it kind of of comes at the expense of his offense and they kind of had him almost like a stopper role at times. And he didn't want to do that. He he wants to be an on-ball shot creator and he's not good enough to do that right now. Maybe the light comes on at some point, you know, he looks great. I know, I know you know this, uh, when he has a good half, it's like the world has ended and you get tweets about how he's going to be the next superstar and five-time all-star and, um, no one's immune from it. Like it it happens when he, and honestly, when he looks good, it looks good. And, I don't want people for not watching the Hawks every night. Um, I do watch them every night. And he basically has never been a positive player um, for more than a week or two at a time in his three years in the NBA. So there's some stuff to like. Like, if you want to find something, like this year, his catch-and-shoot numbers are actually good. And that makes you almost more frustrated because if he could take solace in a smaller role and just kind of be a 3-and-D guy, there's a lot There's a lot in there. Like, his, his, his stroke's a lot better than it used to be and. Um, but then he takes the, the third straight step back and he just, uh, that's where they were. And I think Nate McMillan knew it too. And he was playing less at times. And, you know, there were times where he was not starting when, even when they had injuries, they were starting TLC over him at times and fans were going crazy. And Nate McMillan just said, look, we want Cam to stay in his role. And that was not subtle in my mind. They wanted Cam to have a role that he didn't want to have. And at the end of the day, they, they kind of decided to take what was a relatively underwhelming offer and, you know, Travis, it was kind of funny, and I'll, I'll stop filibustering myself. When he talked about the deal, um, number one, he never mentioned the name, the name Kevin Knox in the, entire, in the entire press conference. Not once. So that was, that was revealing. And number two is he kind of took an answer, he took a question and said, you know, we, we're, we, we're doing this about a month before the deadline to see if we can kickstart things. And people were like, wait, well, you didn't get anything in the trade. And I, I took that to mean we might be better without Cam. And he didn't say that. But I think they probably think internally that there's a non-zero or maybe even a very likely chance that they're just better removing him with what he was currently doing. Or if, if nothing else, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, shooting the hostage a little bit for the rest of the team. Well, and, and, and a locker room boost too. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, no, you, nobody could just nobody say it's one thing. Kind of, yeah. Well, yeah, there, there's that. And there's also like, it was well known that he didn't want to be there. And, you know, say what you want. Like guys understand for sure, but you're still playing with a guy that you know, that you know, doesn't want to be there. And that's not great. Right. I mean, especially when that guy comes in and has, I believe the second highest usage around the team behind Trey, I believe that's still the case. Um, so like you have a guy coming in, that's not really qualified to take all the shots he's taking. He doesn't want to be there. He's not playing very well. And it's kind of a weird recipe. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's multifaceted. I'm not going to say that it's not just, be, it's not as simple as like trade cam and improve. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I think there's actually a potentially good player in there still. So I'm not saying otherwise, it's just a weird dynamic all the way up and down to the point where they decided 
I mean, they took an offer that probably would have still been there in four weeks, and they did it on in mid January instead, which kind of was interesting to me. Yeah, no, I so I you know I I agree with you that there's that there is a there there are certainly the outlines of a good player in in, in Cam or a a solid NBA player I, I should say. Um, it's interesting you mentioned kind of what uh, kind of metrics based people thought of him. I think if he had been like like uh, being considered as kind of a three and D prospect. I think the I think the opinion of him from that standpoint would have been much higher because yep. you know if you go back and look it's like yeah actually I kind of see the outlines of that from his his his, his college performance but it, but the, the the stuff that that you know as a star wing the uh, the on ball creation uh, was poor at Duke and it's been pretty poor at every instance in the NBA um, so I like it, it's one of those things where I actually kind of like the deal for the Knicks because, as you said, it wasn't wasn't a huge amount they gave up, and if they can fit him into a role, they've got a pretty good player. It's just the sort of the future All Star bit is uh, is well over the top. Yeah. I would think if you're <laughs> if you're going to be an optimist, I think you would probably like you look at what Kyle Kuzma has done this year, kind of, and I think I think Kuzma, I think I think that would be a marvelous outcome for. Wow, that's actually point. that's a that's a great call too because if you want the number one issue with Kuzma, if you want to call it that early in his career, was that he thought he was better than he was and took a lot of shots and wanted to be an all-ball guy with those Lakers teams. And um, he still has a little bit of that in him, but he's definitely embraced the other stuff and it's made him a lot better. So that's actually I, I had not thought of that comparison and I kind of love it to be honest. Yeah, and the, but you know the Kuzma has been for I mean oh, frankly for a couple of years has been a you know a, an effective like dirty work, knock a shot down connector type on offense who, and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not, that's, that's not sexy, but that can keep you in the league for a long time and, and, and get you paid pretty well. Oh, la- last thing on this before we kind of move on to something else is I, you know, it's actually kind of hard to blame, you know, part of it for wanting to be somewhere else. He's coming up on a contract year and they just paid Collins. They just paid Kevin Herter who plays the same position. Uh, they're pretty clearly like going to be in on, on Hunter. So what's left for me. And yeah. that's not, you know, for a guy, you know, a rookie contract in the NBA is not peanuts, but it doesn't go as nearly as far as, as one might think, um, you know, and it doesn't, it's not, it's not, it's not life-changing money yet outside of the very top couple picks, you know, oh, for not, sure. It's not generational wealth. So, you know, I can, well, if I want, if I want to get this $80 million contract, I have to be in a position to play, you know, 30 minutes a game. And that wasn't going to happen in Atlanta. And so I, it's, it's, it is hard to begrudge on that level. Yeah. I, I think on a human level, especially when it was so well known, even before he went and asked, which has now been confirmed again, um, he's been available in trade for a year and a half. I mean, this is not, it was not quiet either. I mean, they almost dealt him at the, at the trade, at the uh, draft, I should say, they got very close um, he was available at last deadline. Like he's been available, and if you know that, if you're the player, um, plus what you just said, and you know the Herder thing happens, you know he's still behind Hunter, at least was, and now definitely is behind Hunter in the pecking order. And there, you know, the Hawks had a great season last year, but I've always been skeptical that they're going to pay the luxury tax bill that would be necessary to keep everyone around. And Hawks fans get mad at me when I say that, but you know, Tony Wrestler is not dumb like he said he says all the right things he says he'll pay the tax if they're, if they're contending and that's what owners say but until they do it until they're forced to do it in a market that you know has had mixed 
let's just say mixed fan attendance and stuff in the past. It's a big market, and I I hate the small market term for the Hawks because it's not a small market. Atlanta's a huge market, but the fan base is not enormous. They do have ticket selling problems, and they have in the past. And you you get on the rabbit hole and like what it would actually cost to pay all of these guys, even if it had worked. And you know, take away the unlikelihood of it ever working, where you literally keep all of your all of your top twenty picks for four or five straight seasons like on, on second contracts for real money, that just doesn't happen. Like teams don't bat a thousand. And if they do, they usually end up trading a guy or two because that's what you just have to do. But, you know, even if they loved Reddish and they wanted to keep everybody around, that the money wasn't going to be there. And he probably knew that too. So yes, there's definitely some, um, you know, it's probably unfounded, like how good he thinks he might be. But human wise, it does make total sense. Like, look, you guys don't want me here either. You tried to trade me before. And also I want more shots and I want to get paid next summer. And I, I get that. I mean, we don't always think about guys as being, you know, human beings, but the way you put it and the, if you, if you kind of put it himself in your, in, uh, sorry, you put yourself in his shoes, it does kind of make sense that you want to go somewhere else. Now, whether the Knicks are that team, he's like the fourth wing on the Knicks, I don't know, but he's not in the lane anymore. So maybe that's a fresh start for him. Although um, there, it, it's, it, I, I would suggest if for, for players in similar situations in the future, I think being like the third wing with potential on a really good team. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know, it, it's probably a safer bet than, than trying to, to prove something you haven't done yet. Um, just like you, you know, especially a player with, with sort of the halo effect of the hype that he had coming into Duke, which has never really dissipated. I was going to say, he still has it, man. If you, yeah. if you, around the league, yeah. um, there's always, there are always guys that get that. And yeah. probably just have it for too long. And he is definitely still one of them right now where, you know, players think a lot of Cam still. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that's, that's all real. It's, it's perhaps the difference between doing things that are difficult and doing things that are um, effective. Like, yeah, he can, he can make a tough shot sometimes, but why doesn't he create more easy shots? But that's, you know, that's, that's enough about, that's enough about Cam Reddish for now. There you go. As you, uh, as you, you know, alluded to, like, let's see if we can light a fire. Um, Hawks might not be done. So what are you, you know, what are you hearing? What do you think is sort of the, the, some of the possible path? I'm not going to ask you to make predictions because we're, you know, a month out and the NBA does nothing without a deadline. And who knows what can happen between now and then. But, like, what, are, what do you think are some of the more plausible scenarios um, either players out or, or the types of players who may be coming in uh, for the team in the next month or so. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because, A, of how early they moved um, and left the door open very clearly. And I, I think for me, if it was my decision, it'd be a lot about what happens in the next month. Like Because, you know, I've said this before, I don't know if you can just buy short-term for this season and have it make sense to me. Like, I think anything, anything the Hawks do now, considering the start that they've had and how late it is in the season now, um, you can make a move that helps you this year, but it needs to do more than that. It needs to help you in the future because any, like, trade for a rental this year that costs you any assets doesn't make a ton of sense to me because, like, you're just going to be trying to make the play in. And because the, the odds of the Hawks getting in the top six at this point are not impossible, but they're so low that you can't operate that way. Um, so they're in a different position. Like I thought, honestly, two months ago, I thought they're going to be trying to buy, maybe even in the short term, to try to make a push to win the East. And maybe that was going to be unfounded, but that's what they thought they were. And now this is a different calculus. But they do have guys that are 
clearly going to be available. I think, you know, Gallinari is the one. I mean, Reddish was the number one. Reddish was the guy that I would have bet you would have been traded, and he already has been, so that makes it a little bit tougher. But I think Gallinari is the obvious one as a pseudo-expiring. He's got $5 million guaranteed next year, um, and he's been playing better the last week. Whether that matters in terms of the um, whether they trade him, don't trade him, his value, all that. Showcase. We'll see. Got to showcase a guy. Yeah, I mean, exactly. exactly. That's, and that's, the, no one in the league ever sees past uh, a guy getting Those three games, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's funny. I mean, I'm sure you won't be surprised. I, I, I heard that from fans the last couple of days. Because he has been better, no question. But it's like, all right, well, Gallo's got trade value again. It's like, well, that's not, really, <laughs> not really how this works. Um, but, you know, he what I, what I said a few minutes ago about the Hawks money and luxury tax stuff for the future is that if you were to flip Gallinari into a guy like, you know, Harrison Barnes or Jeremy Grant, somebody in that $20 million multi-year range, um, that's adding $15 million to your tax bill next year. And I don't know if Hawks want to do that. Um, there's that. That's a question for sure to me. Uh, but he's the guy, if you were trying to get better this year and you needed to match salary, he'd be the pretty obvious um, inclusion to do that. Um, I think McDonavich is kind of a stealth trade candidate. I'm not reporting that, but he's got two years left. He doesn't look like, like, like the same guy. And he's also making, you know, 18 million a year. And if you want to go on the higher end, like if you're trying to trade for Ben Simmons, you might need some more trade, uh, some more salary filler with Bogey. Um, but I think that the thing was, too, I think it was Jake, Jake Fisher reported this, but, and I believe this to be true. There really is nobody that's not available outside of Trey and Capella can't be traded because of the one he signed his attention. But I really think that everybody is available on some level. Like, do they want to trade DeAndre Hunter? No. Do they want to trade John Collins without getting an actual star, like a real star in return? No. But I think guys are available. And the one low, like kind of, maybe not low level is the wrong, is the wrong word. The one mid-level trade has kind of already happened. I just, I would have bet a lot of money that they were going to trade Cam in the next month. And they did it already. So they could be done, but... Travis is going to make calls for three straight weeks. I mean, he's yeah. not going to be shy about this, and they're going to – they have another thing. They, they can go – they're really interesting because they can do so many different things. They could kind of stay pat. They could kind of go all in with a big consolidation trade. They could do a Gallo and picks or Gallo and whatever for Harrison Barnes trade, and that wouldn't be so weird to me. They have a lot of paths. It would be bad. It would be yeah, bad. I mean, I'm not saying that, 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 yeah. that they should, but if I, I could definitely see Tony Ressler, the owner, is not uh, – he's admitted to this in the past. He's not someone that just totally stays out of things. Um, it's a previous regime, and it was the Budenholzer era, but they were going to trade Paul Millsap, and Wrestler admitted on the record that he blocked it and said no. And like he's he because they didn't want he didn't want to rebuild at that point in time. Obviously, they rebuilt eventually, yeah. but he's not a he's not a hands off owner. So if he gets yeah. an itchy trigger finger and says, "Look, we're going to win right this second, you can make a deal that is probably going to be a bad trade, but they could do one of those. I mean, reality creation is a tough business to be in because what, what, like, it's more to the point of what you're saying about them getting sort of in the top six. Even, like, there are teams, like, if you're the Lakers and you're starting with LeBron and AD, you can talk yourself into, I don't think it's too hard to talk yourself into, you know, we get, we get right, we make a move or two, we can make a run. Well, and they're, they're already, and they're already all in, too. Like, the yeah. Lakers are so all in already that, like, yeah. what's another thing? And LeBron is LeBron. And, yes, they, yeah. and they already want, they want a title with that same yeah. nucleus. And, and, but what are the, what are the Hawks going to realistically do that lets them, you know, go through two of, like, Milwaukee, Miami, Brooklyn? And at this point, we kind of have to put the Cavs there. Like, are they what? What are they adding that's going to make them have a reasonable shot of of even of of competing at that level this year? And I just you know, 
I think yeah. it's so interesting. Like, like, <laughs> like you're relying on, like, are you, you know, you got to, not to be, you know, Captain Negative, but hey, why not? I mean, you got a kind first round uh, opponent last year, and then your second round opponent um, beat themselves to a large degree. I mean, is that, is that like the Hawks played well, but I think that series was more about Philly's shortcomings than it was about the Hawks. Is that they, unfair? They had, they had to take it. I mean, I'm sure yeah. people would have, I'm sure they wouldn't love that characterization, but I think it's certainly true on some level. Like the Hawks had to make a lot of plays and had to win it. Like they had to, they had to execute the comebacks. Kevin Herter goes crazy in game seven. Like they had to do stuff to actually win, but it's certainly fair that Philadelphia put it on the table. Well, the, the Hawks did, the Hawks didn't, didn't force stock uh, to force Dwight Howard to keep getting minutes. I, 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 regularly, I regularly tweeted that, that Hawks fans should want to see more Dwight in that series. That was true. Uh, but no, it's, I think on one hand, you can say with a straight face through the Hawks that we just did this. We just made a run. And that is not unreasonable to say out loud. But the, the, the difference is this year, like right now, they have to do so much to even get into the playoffs. Like you have to, you, they have to climb four or five teams to get into like the the nine to get into the sorry into the seven eight of the plan like they have a long way to go to even make the eight man the eight team playoff and then you got to pull an upset in round one and then you got to pull an upset in round two and it's like okay that's a lot of ifs and yes it, honestly if you put them in a playoff series at full strength against I don't know pick Philly again let's say they can win that series but like that's one series and that's they have to get there first. So, and they'd be an underdog in that. Series. Well, yeah, and they were underdog yeah. last year too. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. like you have to be real. You have to be realistic about what it was. They won the series, and you know, all credit to the Hawks for doing that. But they were the underdog for a reason in the series. They didn't have home court. They didn't have you know they they had the, the roster of Philly was probably better and all that stuff. So yeah, I think there are ways for the Hawks to make a move or two this season to make their team good enough to believe that they are a top four team in the Eastern Conference. But that doesn't change the fact that they're 18 and 25 right now. They have dug a hole that matters because of just the logistics logistics of it. And, you know, because they are so high on the long-term potential of the team, whether you agree with them or not, that's where they are. They definitely still love the the young core and they have all these young guys. Um, To mess with that for a short-term fix on this team for this season doesn't make a lot of sense. If, If they were the three seed right now, yeah, you could talk yourself into a run because why? You know, you, you just did it, and if they were flip their record, if they were twenty five and eighteen and looking to buy in the short term, you might not love it, but it would make sense. Right okay. now, at eighteen twenty five, you know that, that you don't need to do that. And the Ben Simmons thing is going to sort of loom out there. That's been reported and talked about that they have interest. At least you could say maybe Ben Simmons is at the level of a player if he's if he's right that changes things a lot for you. I'm not the biggest Simmons guy, nor do I think I'm the lowest on Simmons either. But short of an actual star trade, like if Jalen Brown's available, yeah, go trade for Jalen Brown. But short of that, like doing the secondary move that's short-term focus this year, I don't think is going to make a lot of sense for them. Sure. Um, Let me ask it just in terms of long-term future. Do you think that there is a scenario where they think that they can, you know, if if they went into next, if they say they trade... They trade John Collins for a wing. Jalen Brown. Like, you know, just, we're being completely hypothetical here. I don't, I have no reason to think that, that that's anything that could possibly happen. But do they think that, that Capella and Okongwu can, can play together and, 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 and start together and thrive? Is, is that something that maybe the, the, the experience the Cavs this year is going to 
to, hey, maybe we can do that even in today's <laughs> NBA? Or is that is it just like that's 48 minutes of good center play? I, I think it's the latter. I would love to get true serum, particularly with Travis Schlenk. Uh, I think Nate McMillan um, does not see Okong Wu as anything but a five right now. And, you know, he's not a, averse to playing big. Um, and with Collins, you're already kind of doing that. You know, Collins is definitely more of a four than a Kongo is, but they're, they're kind of playing two bigs most of the time. And um, that doesn't, he's not averse to that. But, you know, all the way through from Schlenk on down, at least on the record, they have talked about a Kongo as a center since he was drafted. And they know he's 6'8". He's got guy on the floor. Yeah. They, they know he's 6'8". They know he's 6'9", but they think he's a center. And I do too, to be honest. Um, and, you know, Maybe is there a world where a Kongwu develops his jump shot, and they do believe that he can do that because with, with his touch. But even they'll tell you that's not a guarantee. Like they're they're hoping he can right. shoot at some point, but unless he can shoot, there's no chance that ever happens with him and Capella on a regular on a regular basis because you have two complete non shooters at that point, and that's just tough. Um, that's one of the reasons. Have by you the way, seen that, Evan Mobley's uh, three point shooting. Yes, <laughs> but uh, yes, I, yeah. I understand. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. it can't work. Yeah, but I don't think that they're really open to it right. necessarily. Maybe they, maybe they stumble into it. Like maybe, yeah, like right. like you said, if they traded Collins and they kind of just stumbled into like, all right, let's try this. Yeah. Or if Collins were to get hurt for six weeks and they just have no other options, maybe they try yeah. it. But I, as a plan, I don't think so. What I'm interested in, and what I've always been interested in, is they drafted a Congo number six overall at center after they traded for Capella. Now, I think they didn't know that Capella was going to do what he did last year when they drafted him, when they drafted Okongwu. I think they thought Capella was going to be a good player, but he was better than they expected last season. And then they extended him. <laughs> Which That's The extension was the weird bit. It, it is. And I think on one hand you could say, and I heard this even as a more of a speculation, but for people that might know things, um, that it was almost you're extending him to trade him. Like you're extending him to make him more tradable um, a year from now, but there's there's a lot of risk in there because the risk is what happened this year where he's not been as good, he's been banged up a little bit, and he's not getting any younger. Like I think he's a good player, no question, but centers are tricky as trade commodities, and especially if teams know that you want to clear the way for a Kongwu, like it doesn't help your leverage, that's for sure. So. I really don't know. I would love to know what their thought process is and how it might have changed since drafting a Kongwu to now, um, both because of how Capella's played and um, how that's all gone. But I do think that within the next year, year and a half, can you really look at yourself in the mirror with a Kongwu, a guy that you like, by all accounts, they like, maybe even love, that you drafted in the top half of the lottery and play him 14 minutes a night? Like, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of justification for them to really be, for them to be very high on him. It's, it's, me, no, me too. I, I, lo- yeah. I, lo- I love him. I, I had a number four in the draft. I, I, I was all, and I was one of the few people local. I mean, locally, it wasn't a super popular pick, honestly, just because six eight center. He was playing at USC. People didn't really see him play a lot, and they had Capella already. And it was like, whoa, that's a weird pick. And I'm like, look, this is the best available player pick, but I love him. Like, I think he's really good. I just think that it's quite interesting, and it got more interesting with the extension. Like before the extension for Capella, I think everyone thought, all right, Capella for two years. And then they handed over to Okonwu. That was going to be the plan. And then they gave Capella two more years at market value. That wasn't like a huge bargain of an extension. Like they gave him real money. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see what that happens, but because they don't, they're not willing at least yet to try those guys together. As soon as Capella is like last night, Okonwu played 36 minutes on Monday, played great. Was a big reason they won the game against Milwaukee. When Capella returns, and then however long it's going to be, the first game he's back, 
he's going to start and play 30 minutes. Like, there's no question about it. And fans are going to hate it because now they're in on a Kongwu. But it's just, uh, it's really interesting kind of when you have truly what they're viewing as one position players and you have two of them, and one of them is the more popular, you know, the, the shiny new thing at 21 years old, it's going to get dicey, I think, at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's maybe lucky for Schlenk that he can't, well, I, you know, even if he'd have wanted to, to trade Capella to, to clear room for a Congo, it's like, ah, can't do can't. it. Rules, yep. rules are rules. Exactly. No, I, honestly, that was the thing with, with the Ben Simmons, not, not, to do, not to do the whole thing again, but um, as soon as the Simmons thing came out, and I was the first, I was like, look, you know, I don't love Ben Simmons with Clint Capella as a general rule. Um, and they, literally cannot trade Clint Capella. So if they're going to trade for Ben Simmons in the middle of the season, just envision the world where you're playing an offense that has Ben Simmons and Clint Capella on the floor at the same time, and Trey Young's going to not be thrilled with the spacing that he has with that group on the floor. Well, I mean, that that, that, that could work if, if Trey was was occasionally willing to, you know, play off the ball. He does not want to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, no. Um, so... I guess one more topic, and then again, if anyone has any in the audience has any any questions they have for for Brad, um, I, just, I, I kind of have to ask. Speaking of young guys and the fact that you know the Hawks have had reasonable success in the draft, uh, they, they, I, I thought they had a, a pretty at least on draft night will look like a pretty interesting draft in getting Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. How what what can you tell me about like obviously they haven't played a ton at the NBA level um, for any number of reasons. Um, any any kind of early indications about anything with either player, or is just you know, especially with the weirdness of of you know the G League season being truncated and and COVID and stuff like that, they just it's almost been a lost year for them. I don't know if it's been a lost year. I think that um, from, I an like, eva- from an eva- an outside evaluation, standpoint. yeah, it, it is tough to evaluate them. Um, in particular, because of they've gone back and forth, you know, Jalen Johnson's on, of course, the full rookie deal, but Sharif Cooper's on a two-way, so he's he's been back and forth a lot to College Park. And you know, coming into the year, I, I love the draft. Just to be candid, it was a great. I, I think high upside is the way that I would describe it. For the, they got those guys a good value of both spots. I thought Cooper fell way too far, even acknowledging that like he may not ever turn into what he could turn into, but just the raw tools of what he was able to do in college. And I think he's a pretty high upside player. If you're talking about a mid second round pick, but it's, um, he never had, I mean, honestly on paper, there was no scenario where Sherry Cooper was ever going to play minutes in the NBA this year without significant injury issues. Um, number one, you have Trey young (laughs) who's going to play and he's been very durable and played a lot of minutes. Um, and then you go all, and then you also go out and have Delon Wright, who's more of a combo, but still is there. You have Lou Williams, even as Scholar Mays, like Sharif Cooper is their fifth point guard <laughs> right now. He's not going to ever play. He's a one position player. Um, he has nice flashes in the G League. I've seen um, probably half or more of his G League games. He looks the part of what he's supposed to look like. And for me, if you want to find one encouraging thing about Sharif Cooper this year is that his, his jump shot has improved. Um, it was the number one question about his offense anyway at the college level was his jump shot kind of fell apart last year. I don't know if he's ever going to be a great shooter, but it's cleaner. The mechanics are better. That's good to see. And I think... Um, if they give him a chance, maybe as soon as next year to be a backup point guard option, he could probably do that. But, you know, he's still, you know, he was a one-and-done small point guard. There was no way he was going to, even if he did play this year, he was going to be bad. I mean, you know this as well as, well as anybody. Like, there was no chance that a guy, maybe no chance, a 1% chance probably of him not being bad. Even Trey Young was bad. And Trey Young was obviously a top-five pick as a rookie. I know he came on strong later in the season, but his, his overall numbers were not good. Um, and then Jalen Johnson is the one that, 
I'm, I'm sure you know, Hawks fans have won, won a sale a year, um, top 20 pick. And I said this and tried to warn people and no one wanted to listen to me, but uh, you can't pick a coach that is le- that is less likely to use rookies over veterans than Nate McMillan <laughs> in the world. Uh, Nate McMillan is not going to throw out a rookie that he doesn't trust on defense um, over, unless, unless he absolutely has to. Doc and, Rivers would be the only one. Yeah, I guess maybe Doc Rivers. That's, that's yeah. a good point. Um, but, you know, even with the Hawks have had all kinds of, uh, you know, the, there was about a two-week span where they just were totally battered by COVID. They've had, they've had injuries. And even then, they really couldn't find minutes for Jalen Johnson. Now, granted, he, he was out for part of that too, which is part of the reason why I think he would have played if he was available. But he's looked okay in the G League. It's kind of been what I expected. Like, he's not been super efficient. He likes to shoot uh, kind of some bad jump shots along the way, especially long twos. Um, they're going to have to either hope he gets a lot better at that or have him not do as much, which we, we saw in Summer League too. If you watch him in Summer League, you know, he made a lot of them, so people didn't mind it, but he took a lot of bad shots. And that's where he is. He's a talented guy, but he has a long way to go defensively, like a long way. That's, that's what kind of struck me. I'm not surprised he's a rookie. And the tools are pretty good, but uh, you want to talk about lack of attentiveness, lack of like doing the little things defensively. He has no idea what's going on on defense. At this just point. doesn't sound unfamiliar. Yeah, from a, he, a he, wing that were. Yeah, I mean it's it's not. I mean you know he he even went to Duke. So well, like, and like, and honestly had even more of a lost college season because he just yeah. was gone. He left the right. program in January, and you know that's that's the that's the uh, the generous interpretation of Johnson right now is that he hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last two years really. Yeah, um, and you can see the flashes for sure, but he's got. I mean. The tools are really good defensively. That's the bright side. But he just doesn't. He, I can't. Over, I cannot overstate it how bad he has looked when he's when he has played. And a lot of that's garbage time. Who cares? But you watch him in the G League too. It, it's jarring. He's got a long way to go defensively. The talent's there, and I think as soon as as soon as next year, they might want to just like give him a 12, 14 minute a game backup power forward role. But he's also in this situation where he's kind of a hybrid player. But they've been playing him more at the five in the G League than they have at the three, for instance. Like, people thought he might play the three in the NBA. I think he's a four, pretty straight, honestly. But he's more of a small ball five option than anything else for the Hawks. Like, they almost played him the other day when they had a couple of injuries, and um, I think it was Chris Gent was the acting head coach because Nate was in the protocols. And he kind of said, look, if we get into a bind, we're going to play Jalen at the five. And it was – and Hawks fans were like, wait, what? And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, he's playing five in the G League, like, pretty regularly. So he's got size for it. He's almost six – I mean, he's taller than a Kongwu, <laughs> if you want to go that, that linear. But it's – um. I think it's been not a lost season, but also not like a, you know, a plus season. It's probably like a C for both guys. Um, flashes, not a ton of exposure beyond the G league. And uh, honestly, just a tough situation for both of them. They're coming into a team that was not only supposed to be competing, but also extremely deep. And there was just nowhere for them to play. And the coach who has already announced no development minutes. Literally. I mean, I'm not kidding. He said <laughs> that on the record multiple yeah. times. He was like, the developments are over. I'm like, all right, well, that's going to rule. That's going to rule out Joe Johnson for the season, basically. So, yeah. Um, last thing. Oh, I, actually we got a, we got a, uh, Cody has a, oh, has, nice. a uh, has a question for us. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, see what he's got to say. Uh, Cody, if you can unmute yourself and, uh, what, what you got a question for Brad or myself? Yeah, you guys, well, first of all, thanks for taking the call. I think I just kind of talked around a little bit, but what do we think of Nate McMillan uh, as the head coach of the Hawks? I mean, Nate's a pretty well-known commodity in the league. Uh, do you think he's really a coach who can try some of the more exotic lineups that you guys have mentioned or, you know, figure out a way to kind of change his stripes and take this team to the next level? 
Uh, Brad, you want to you want to go first? Uh, like, sure. Uh, you, you, you probably have more of a uh, of a hawk specific take on him. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you context. I'll be interested to hear what you say too from uh, from previous stops saying with the Hawks. But I I've kind of thought similarly about Nate the entire time. Um, both last year when he was seen as the savior because the results were so much better, and now when he's getting a lot of criticism from Hawks fans, is that he's kind of just the same guy he's always been, and that as a average maybe even slightly above average head coach of the nba he's been a he's not bad i don't think he's game changing in any meaningful way on either end of the floor i think he's a little bit old school he's very stubborn he likes what he likes he likes veterans he likes to trust guys on defense and um he's not the most modern guy in the world he's come a long way i will say he's done some stuff that he didn't used to do in previous stops and i think he's kind of adjusted with the nba as it is but he's not an innovator i would say he's more of a Locker room manager, old school, likes to emphasize defense. And it's kind of funny because he's a defensive head coach and they're so bad on defense, which is the, I'm sure you're not surprised, Seth, one of the, one of the tropes that Hawks fans are like, wait, he's a defense first coach coach? I'm like, yeah, he, he really is. He likes defense a lot. He talks about it all the time. Um, but I, I think he's just kind of a, he's kind of a guy. And I, don't mean, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think he is one of the you know, mid-tier coaches in the league. He's not going to change your life, nor is he going to get you uh, ha- having implosions. He's not... I'm not going to name names. Maybe you, maybe you can't say. Uh, he's not in that bottom tier that's going to embarrass you. He's just he's he's fine. He's a he's veteran not gonna, guy. He's not going to have a leadership council. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's not going to be there's not going to be a time clock to be punched in the uh, in the practice facility. I, I think he, I think he got a lot. I mean, just to kind of sum it up quickly, he did a lot. He got a lot of credit last year, and rightly so. Look, I mean, they had this. There was a lot of factors in play, and I didn't want to give. It's not all on him, but he did a good job galvanizing that group. They believed they believed in it, and that does matter. I mean, you can try to figure out how much it matters, but they bought into what he was selling last year. And that was a, at least a part of the run they went on. But I think that he got overrated locally because of that. And I think now he's probably underrated because they're struggling. I think he's just kind of the same average guy that he has been as a head coach. And there's value in that. Like you would rather have that than pick head coach X that you don't want. And I think he's been, I mean, I'm not, I was not the biggest Lloyd Pierce detractor. I thought he got a lot of unfair criticism. But McMillan's a more proven and probably better head coach than Lloyd Pierce. Um, is he as good as Nick Nurse or something like that or Steve Kerr or whoever? No, he's not. He's just he's in the military. That's what I have. Yep. No, and I think I'll I'll, I'll buttress that by saying you know the, the general consensus people who looked at this and studied it is they're generally speaking about five coaches at any given time that meaningfully kind of add wins to a team. And there's five or so, although frankly, less now than there used to be. I think the, the overall standard of coaching the NBA is, you know, it's like the, the bad coaches really stick out now. Yeah. Uh, just because there's, there's just fewer of them. But, there, but so there's maybe, you know, five guys who can add wins, five guys who take them away, and maybe there's a 10-win difference between the best and worst. And then most of the guys are kind of in the middle where, like they do some things well, other things not as well. Maybe they can, maybe they can mesh perfectly with the team and kind of add something to the right roster. I think he's in that group, and I don't think you mentioned how much he likes like veterans and like grindy type players. That's not this roster. That was the thing when, when yeah. it happened last year. I was this is as he was taking over. I was trying to stress like, okay, everybody. I know nobody wanted Lloyd Pierce around. He was uh, you know enemy number one by the end in the fan base. And I was like, you know, Nate McMillan is a proven commodity, but I have never thought this roster was a Nate McMillan roster. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I know that's just what happened. He was the number one guy and it worked. But aside from like Clint Capella, um, and the, there's a couple guys I think are McMillan guys, 
But like, do you think? I think you think, you think Nate McMillan would would have loved to draft a six eight center at number six number six overall. I don't think Nate McMillan would have signed up to be the. Uh, and that's not even a shot of the Kong. I think he likes the Kong Wu. I'm just saying, like, does he strike you as a guy who's likely to maximize the strengths of a six eight um, do it all like? You know, small ball kind of center like a Kongwu. Like for me, no. I think he's more I mean, of a even he's more like guy. John. Even more like John Collins. It seems like, you know, Collins is a is a interesting versatile. You put him in the hands of 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 you know you, you put him in in say like uh, Mike D'Antoni's prime, and what is what does John Collins look like? Um, and and I, like I, it's not too hard to see him him putting in some all-star seasons if, if he's given like that kind of freedom and versatility of role. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they've, they, they could run better stuff. I mean, yeah. McMillan's Mill, never going to run the stuff that the yeah. most exotic stuff on offense. He's just, right. He's just, right. Uh, he's, he's got strengths too. And I do think that he honestly, as funny as it is to say when, how bad they've been defensively this year, I think he's still a pretty good defensive coach. It's just that uh, you got to have yeah. personnel. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, you know, their best defenders have been out and they have a, you know, a, a gaping hole at the point of attack most nights. Um, just sort of this is we uh, we we got into this. I think we got into this on Nerder a couple of weeks. And and Jacob, thanks for being patient. We'll get to you in a second. Um, you know, I think with the um, the rule changes or the the interpretation changes, like having bad point of attack defense might matter more this year because nobody could defend the point of attack last year because you couldn't touch anybody. And now that you can, and there's a, there so there maybe is a differentiation between the teams that can put up some resistance there and those that can't, the fact that the Hawks aren't good there um, is is more of a liability this year than it was last year when it just was the same as everybody else. I said at the very top, if you that's the number one on-court issue this year has been perimeter defense. It has been glaringly bad, and without Capella being Superman like he was last season, they haven't been able to cover up, cover up for it, and it's been... It's been jarring, honestly, for like full games at a time. How bad it's been on the program this year? Is is it? I mean, is it is it fair to say that just at, at, at a certain point, like Trey, you just have to be better? Yeah, I, I, honestly, and I, I think Trey, in some corners, gets too much criticism. Like no one's saying he's not good. He's bad defensively. I'm not saying otherwise. But it's not just him. Is my only point. Yeah. Like he he gets a lot. He gets a lot of it because everyone knows he's the famous guy, and everyone else, everyone knows he's bad. And it's it's true. He is defensively, but like. Bogdanovich and Lou Williams this season, yeah. I mean, have been. I mean, Lou, yeah. you expect Lou to be bad, like he's been bad for a long time. But Bogdanovich, I think he's honestly, but he's been like, I can't believe how bad it's been from compared to when he was healthy in the middle of last season, and even back to Sacramento, he's never been this bad. I've always thought he was like a capable defender. He's been one of the worst in the league, I think, on the wing this year in terms of just like, I think it's just physicality and not not having it with his legs. But sure, it's not. My, my own, I, I, I know that you know this, but it's, it's not just Trey. Having Trey on the floor for 35 minutes a game is going to hurt your defense. There's no way around that. But they, uh, the problems go beyond that, for sure. Yeah, and, and, but it's also there are guys, you can have guys who are bad defenders who don't kill you, especially guys who do as much as effectively offensively as he does. And oh, certainly. Like, I mean, it's it's sort of the, the, yeah. the James Harden line of are you, are you killing us or are you just not doing anything? And, well, and, we, and we saw in the seems, playoffs. Yeah. I mean, we were all worried about him getting them killed in the playoffs and it, it could have happened. There were times that it did and matchups were favorable for this too, to be fair. But we saw like he didn't, he didn't get them killed single-handedly defensively in the playoffs. Like yeah. that was the, that was a big concern. And yeah, they, he got picked on a little bit and maybe it would have been worse in different matchups, but they were able to survive it in a way that um, I was, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's impressed by, but if trade dials in, he's not um, 
because it's point guard and point guard defense is just, I mean, I, I agree with what you said, by the way, earlier, but even then, it's not as bad as having a bad center defender. Yeah. It's just not. Like, having a bad point guard defender is going to, it's going to hurt you, but it's not like playing Enos Cantor. It's not going to be that actively menacing for you in the back end. Excuse me, and it's freedom. Sorry, uh, my apologies. Yeah. But, uh, Jacob, uh, uh, what do you got for us? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, not surprised, uh, given it's the two of y'all, but it's been a great discussion so far. Um, I, I'm, I hope the Hawks do something interesting this year uh, to make it fun, but I'm, I'm sort of looking into the future now for reasons that y'all have discussed. Um, if, if we just sort of think about a core that hopefully Travis can keep together of Trey, Hunter, Collins, and Okongwu, you know, thinking ahead the next couple of years, um, how do you evaluate that or I guess the potential of that core and, and maybe pieces they can put around it um, kind of upside and, and also, you know, the, the, the floor uh, that you could perceive. Why don't you go ahead, Brad? Since you... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the question, by the way. Also, I think that it's not this simple. It really isn't. And I wonder if you agree with what I'm about to say, Seth. Um, I do think that it's hard for me to see the Hawks winning a ty- winning a championship, which is again the highest possible bar. But winning a championship without a better number two offensive shot creator than they have right now, uh, and th- and that means like I don't know if it has to be like a top fifteen player in the league, superstar level player. But I mean, we talked about Jalen Brown earlier. He's not, he's not that, but Jalen Brown's like a top what thirty player in the league, forty player in the league, something like that, and he's a legitimate you know offensive force. Um, at times in the wing, maybe, maybe it's maybe, maybe it's that kind of thing. But I, I do think that it it is hard for me to see a world where even as fun as that core is, and I like I like that core a lot with with Young and Hunter and Collins and the Congo in particular. Actually, those three guys defensively can do a lot for you around Trey. You can be you can kind of, kind of creative, but I think that at the end of the day, you're gonna need another star. I mean, star is the wrong word. I don't even know if it's the right word or not. But I, I just have a hard time unless Hunter really becomes like the 99% of what he can be, which I think is plausible, but not likely. I think he's definitely still going to be more likely to be a super high-end role player. Like, I don't think Hunter's going to be a star. I really don't. Um, and they need, you know, just look at, look, at, look at the teams that win titles. They almost all have elite wings, at least one. And it's just hard to see them doing that if they don't find that guy. And it's not, I, I hate being that simple and that reductive, but I kind of just feel, I kind of feel that way on some level. I mean, for me, the the guy who on the current roster has the most potential to be that is still Collins. Um, I, I I think he I think frankly he has more kind of ball and hands potential than Hunter does. Um, where I think the guy who has the like the highest like overall ability potential is probably Okongwu. But it's it, yeah. again, it's in that it's in that sort of that not complete like defensively completely complementary area, but not at all offensive. Like sure, a, a foil for Trey in like a, like a pick and roll setting, but not necessarily another, the expression I always use, like to use is a drink stir. And yes. they really do need, they need, they need another drink stir. That's a great way. And, to and that's, you know, again, you, you, maybe you, you, you thought that that herder could be that, uh, Bogdanovich was acquired to maybe be that. Um, I, I, I frankly was more optimistic on herder than, than I would, than I would have been on Bogdanovich, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's less likely to happen. It's more likely not to happen than it is to happen. And, you know, he's he sort of seems like he's settling into the, the, the solid sort of tertiary role that we talked about earlier. So, yeah, I, I think that largely I agree with you that there they're, they're just they're, there needs to be 
just a little more pop. And then with that, there also needs to be like a little bit of adjustment of how the team plays. This is uh, yeah. something that, 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 you know, Howard Beck has wrote an article about this a couple of years ago. And he and I have, have talked about this a lot since I apparently coined the term heliocentrism. <laughs> I don't know if heliocentrism works at, the, at a high level in the playoffs. We, well, we haven't seen it. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. Like it can get you a long way in the regular season, but, and that's one of the reasons I said, let's look, we talked about it a second ago, but when you have Trey Young as your best player, you have to be an offense first team. You have to be elite offensively to be what you want to be. That's like, it goes without saying, but it's worth knowing. Like they, you pretty much have to be the best offense in the league to win the championship, I think, if he's your best player. Like that's how good you have to be because your defense is not going to be ever, you know, top five. Like your model is number one defense, I'm uh, sorry, number one offense number 12 defense, something like that. So, so the D'Antoni's, they're the best of the D'Antoni's. Yeah, offense, that's, that's got to be your mind. It doesn't yeah. have to be that, that exact way of playing, but that's why I think that you always have to load up. And it doesn't mean you have to eschew defense because you can't just give it away. But when you're, if we're operating on the assumption of the question of if three parts of your core are Hunter, Collins, and a Kongwu, those guys are all going to be or already are good offensive players, but they don't, to your point, stir the drink on offense and I actually think you're right about the Okongwu thing. I think he probably has the highest ceiling of anybody on the roster other than Trey. But it's not an offensive ceiling. It's a maybe terrifying defender who's also a good offensive player. It's not, a, it's not going to be the other way around, I don't think. Unless he just has a crazy jump shot about um, evolution. So, yeah, I think what you would want to add to that group is a dynamic on-ball playmaking wink, <laughs> which every team in the league wants. Yeah. So congratulations. Oh, oh just that. Just yeah, that. Yeah. Just that little thing that everybody wants. Yeah. Um, no, and so the thing, the thing I'd add is just to, 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 to flush out the sort of the, 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 the heliocentrism point is I think that you kind of, um, and this is going to set maybe a little esoteric and it's hard to meet, to demonstrate without graphs and stuff. So sorry. Um, I know as Katie would say, who wants to look at graphs or look at, look at charts when we're talking about basketball, but um, you know, there. The, the really the best players exert influence when they're not doing anything. And I think you actually almost, when you squeeze every last bit of what a player can do central to their offense, you almost lose that like latent threat of when they don't have the ball. So yeah, you can like, you know, you can, you can take Trey and have him be, you know, the, a key piece of 60% of your offensive possessions. But would you maybe be better off if, if he was, handling 45% or 50% of them. And the, uh, like the other half, he was still a threat to do something as opposed to now it's either he's doing it 60% of the time, or he's just standing by half court. And that's, that's a little bit reductive, but that seems like th that, that seems to be a common theme with most players who end up with, with basically aside from LeBron, which, you know, you don't want to, <laughs> it's, it's LeBron. So you don't like, right. you, if it works for him, that means nothing about anyone else. Um, like that, that seems to have been a common theme across basically any player who's, who's played that, that kind of central role in a team's offense. So I, I almost think you can, you can get more out of Trey by having him do less, like, like maybe not more production, not more fantasy points, not more, but a more impact on the game. Yeah, uh, like holistically, I think, of, I think particularly in the playoffs, yeah. that would be yeah. that would be the case because it's you know it's it'd be so, it's so hard to just operate everything in the playoffs at the highest 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 level. And he was awesome in the playoffs last year. I mean, no criticism. I, I think he was better than even even most Trey Young fans or supporters thought he was going to be in his first playoff run. So like that's a good sign. But best heel in the NBA. 
Oh, it's awesome. I mean, he, he, yeah. he and by the way, he loves it, which is, it makes it, it makes it better when he, he, he loves and embraces that role. And he played great. I mean, that's the thing. So like, it's not a criticism of him. It's like, you have to be able to, he can't, I don't think anybody can do this in the modern NBA, but he, he can't win as the only guy. Like he can't yeah. win the, at the absolute highest level as the only guy. Um, maybe LeBron could do it. Um, you know, not not this not this LeBron five years ago. Like he he came pretty close, <laughs> but it's like not, nobody can do that really. Uh, right. So it's like we'll, they're going to have to add somebody, and we'll see what that looks like. Maybe it's internal growth. I mean, I'm not like saying it's impossible. And I agree with you by the way on the Collins thing earlier, where he can do more than he's uh, allowed to allowed to or asked to do so far. But uh, yeah, they have to either have to catch lightning in a bottle or make a, make the big blockbuster everybody wants to talk about that I get asked about. Ten times a day. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I like I, I I I would be intrigued by Simmons on on this team if you could somehow like plop like not trade any of those four guys. We like I don't know how that actually works, but you plop Simmons in as the fifth guy. Like, is it is it imperfect? Yeah. Is it would I, would I kind of like to see it work? Yeah. Would I would I want the coach to be someone else to try to get that to work? Absolutely. Just again, because that that like you, you need sort of a mad genius to have that kind of thing work, but that's, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think Maury is, I don't think Maury is coming out of a deal like that without one of, of Collins, Hunter or Kongwu, maybe even two of them. Yeah. You're not getting him without one of those guys, which I, yeah. I thought there was maybe uh, a world. Uh, uh, one more question, I guess, and then we'll get you out of here, Brad. Thank you so yeah, much go ahead. for being generous with your time. Uh, Lance, uh, 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 finish it off with a good one. No pressure. <laughs> Yeah, I found the mute button. There it is. First time calling in on calling here. And you guys were actually just speculating on what my question was going to be about. And uh, it's that question Brad gets asked, uh, you know, 20 times a day. <laughs> it's the, the, it's the, the return that Daryl Morey seems to be wanting here for Ben Simmons. And it's I'm, I'm kind of curious. It's like a, he was wanting a return for, a, you know, a top 10 guy. When I read the scuttlebutt that uh, he's asking for, it's a crazy package of something like you'd give up for a Steph Curry or Kevin Durant type player. And I, I just don't know that anybody's willing to pay that, especially Atlanta. But I guess if anybody would, Atlanta seems like that desperate team right now. So that's my question is, is Atlanta that desperate to do it? And if they're not, is anybody willing to give up that type of haul back to Philadelphia for, you know, if he's valued him as a top 10 player, I don't see Ben Simmons as a top 10 or even a top 20 player. Um, is anybody willing to pay that package to Philadelphia, if not Atlanta? So could be. So, well, like, <laughs> Go ahead, let's back up a little bit. Like, like asking for things isn't the same thing as thinking you'll get them. And sort of in in my experience of being, you know, like I wasn't taking the phone calls from Daryl, but like knowing how he operates a little bit, like. He's he's actually pretty easy to deal with in that he's he'll ask for crazy stuff and not get offended when you say no. So yeah, sure. If you want to give us a top ten player and two first round picks, ha ha ha. Doesn't mean that's like his his walk away. Um, so I think that like you, 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 to think about what it is, you kind of have to flip it around the other way. What what has to come in because it's basically filling a hole that they're getting nothing from this year. What comes in and makes them a kind of on a the, the co-favorite for the Eastern Conference line today. If it if the trade does that, we'll talk about it. If it does if if it doesn't if it doesn't really do that, then he's not doing it. So whether that's one top X player or, you know, three high rotation players or whatever else, 
or or a multi-team trade to you know the Tobias Harris goes out and you get you know Gordon Hayward in and I'm just throwing a name out there it's, I have no idea <laughs> um, but I'm just I'm just thinking of like player like and that that remakes their team in such that he looks at the teams like yeah no we we go toe to toe with Milwaukee we got a good chance we go toe to toe with Brooklyn we got a good chance um, and so that's rather than focusing on like oh he needs a top thirty player like that's that's posturing what's actually what he actually wants is you know. The, the 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 stuff coming out of there has been we don't want to waste a year of Ben Simmons prime like see does does CJ McCollum do anything to not waste a year of Joel sorry Ben Simmons of Joel Joel Embiid's prime no not really it doesn't move really move the needle that much so it's it's more that so that's why I think like you know who helps them like Hunter Collins uh, I think helped them um, Bogdanovich if he was a guy who was in it. Yeah, but as a centerpiece, no way. So no, and that's, that's that's how I view it. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, the price, if you're Daryl, you can ask for the moon right now and maybe lower the price on February 9th. You know what I mean? If you need to. Yeah. If you want to make the deal, like he'll make the deal. Um, but yeah, there's, especially before the Reddish trade, there were a lot of fan trade proposals I was getting that didn't include any of the good players. <laughs> it was like Gallinari, Reddish. Funny, funny how that works. Gallinari, Reddish, Jalen Johnson, and a couple picks for Ben Simmons. And it's like, that's not going to be enough, guys. I- I'm not saying whether they have to do it or not, but it's. I, I honestly would be shocked if Daryl did a trade with the Hawks for Ben Simmons that did not, that, that did not include Collins. Just for, like, I value. Just, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe it's, like, like, yeah. Maybe it's Hunter. Maybe it's everything else. Maybe it's Hunter Bogdanovich. And two picks or something, um, something like that. But and Col- Kongwu, which goes to who goes to a third. Team. That's the thing, like because yeah. Kongwu, I think might have the highest trade value outside of Collins, but Philly doesn't have any use for a Kongwu. So it's like you have to figure yeah. out a third team in there as well and do all that stuff. Yeah. And then the if, Hawks thing. If we're is, trade machining. It's it's like and then it's Harris hard. and a, it's Harris and a Kongwu go somewhere else to get right. somebody. And it's hard to do that. And you know if you're the Hawks, there's a whole calculation we don't have time for about like whether you want to do it now. Um, when you have Capella and you have this weird situation and uh, you know, that's up for debate too, but there's definitely a line where I would, I would still do it for Simmons. I am hesitant. The way I've been saying is I am hesitant to pay what I think it would take. If I'm the Hawks in season this year with Capella, with some of the weirdness, with where they are on the standings, with the, I, with the coach you know you have, well, not that, the coach that you too, you have. and like yeah, and that's not a knock, that's not a knock no. Nate McMillan, by the way. It's just again, if you're gonna like, he's a ben weird player. Simmons a, ben Simmons is a player that you need to you need a creative coach. He's a very very weird yeah. player. I mean, even people, whether you like Ben Simmons or not, everyone can yes. agree he's a very weird player to yeah. fit. Uh, so yeah, the the non innovation of Nate would not be my favorite fit there either, particularly with Capella on the team. Like if you take Capella away from Nate and say, all right, now you have to work with this weird team that has Simmons, Collins, and a Kongwu as your front court, as your four, as your three guys to fill whatever time, whatever time. Get weird. Yeah, I would I would love that, but like that's not the reality right now today. So like I have that makes me that makes me personally lower my my threshold a little bit on Simmons trades and that's not something that I think uh Daryl would like to deal with. So I don't know. I mean I know one thing, it's gonna take a lot. I, I, I still believe that. Maybe maybe you're right in that Daryl like knows what he 
action will take and he'll posture all the way until he takes it. But I still think it's going to be a lot. Like he's not going to give Simmons away for what I think he might be worth right now in a trade. I think he's probably going to hold out for more than that. I mean, there was the one report today, I think it was Jake Fisher reported, like a pretty substantial offer from Detroit that Philly like just had no time for at all. I mean, if it depends, I mean, that, that it was, it was like Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bay, and uh, Olenek and picks. And it's like, you, you have to really like Jeremy Grant. No, I'm not saying they had to do that, but like the yeah. fact that it was like treated as like a laugher would, would, would make me raise my eyebrows. But I, mean, like, I would, I like, I would, that would be that, like, that would be a naff for me. Yeah, I, I'm not saying they had, I'm not saying yeah. they needed to do that, but that's a, that's a reasonable call for Detroit to make, is what I would say. Yeah, I think and, so. And it's and if that was just literally a zero percent hang up the phone, that kind of does tell you a little bit about what the asking price is. But also, it's silly season, and who knows? Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to urgency. If Daryl has decided he's not going to trade him without a certain level of trade, and he has the backing ownership, he just won't trade him. But if he at this point, if he knows he needs to do it now, he'll hold out until he gets until he until he can't hold out anymore, and that's three weeks from now or four weeks from now. So. I mean, he's he, he's a good poker player, so we're not going to know until it, it happens one way or another. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, can I ask a quick follow up? The call. Oh, sure, hey, sure. Uh, so, if my if my memory is right, isn't Ben technically out for our mental health? Is that right? I, you know, is that what it's being? Is that, it, that, it's is a very it's a very weird situation. Uh, I think he's getting. Wasn't the latest point that he's that he's getting paid? Still, like he's not for a while. They were they were finding him, and then they stopped. I think is the latest, but I could be wrong on that. It's definitely that's been discussed. If nothing else, uh, I mean, I'm just yeah, thinking about I, it. Brad. Brad, you would know from Calvin Ridley. I, I'm just kind of thinking, like, you know, is he all of a sudden going to be cured from mental health? Well, all, all, the, all, the, all the reporting is that uh, Simmons is going to play if he, somewhere else if he gets traded. Now, I, I don't know if that's the case, but again, that's we can only go with what's been reported by reporters that are more credible than me. Uh, but I, I think the expectation is, and Seth might have heard differently, that if Simmons gets traded, he's going to at least ramp up and report like he's going to play, I think. No, I think, and, and that, I mean, you know, these, these trades don't happen without, like a trade of this magnitude doesn't happen without, you know, a lot of conversations with the player you're you're acquiring's agent as well, so it's not just you know you're not. Well, I hope this works out. I hope you know. I hope he's ready. That's that's like it's if if the the indications there are are suboptimal, you just don't do the deal. Like it like it doesn't like you almost didn't like. No, we can't trade for him. You know, we just we just can't do it if if we don't have those kind of assurances. And so that's something that we're just never going to be privy to on the outside. So I don't. I don't really want to. I really don't want to speculate about it on that, especially for something as kind of, as 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 you know, invisible to the outside as yeah. as a mental health issue. So, nice. yeah, um, it's just it's again it's it, that's something as part of your due diligence you figure that out, and that frankly might be like the last piece in a in a yes no once kind of the the other factors are worked out and. And frankly, that that is might be one of the biggest reasons it doesn't happen, is the the potential acquiring team is like doesn't like the way that conversation goes, and so then it's like, nah, we can, that, that's just one one risk too many, so we're just not going to. Yep. Um, so uh, th- th- thanks for the call, Brad. Thanks a lot. I, I think this is easily the longest one of these I've done, and, and that's probably, uh, that's probably my fault. But I appreciate you having me, Seth. No, <laughs> no. Sorry for sorry for keeping you for so long and being no worries with your time. And 
Uh, I think probably we'll, I'll want to do this again if the Hawks uh, do make a trade at, at the deadline just to, to, to kind of close the circle on that. So uh, happy, happy to be back anytime. Cool. Thanks a lot, and thanks, everyone. Uh, I am back tomorrow with uh, Andrew Patton to talk um, data visualization and communication, which is a sharp uh, detour from today, but uh, enjoy us then, and hopefully you'll enjoy. Thanks a lot, everyone.